Good morning. It's a joy to be with you all uh, this morning. So glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 11. You can also find that text in your bulletins. Uh, And this passage is the third of the four servant songs of Isaiah, all of which prophesy about a coming servant of the Lord who will save his people. Uh, These were written about 700 years before the coming of Christ. And we are taking time to study these prophecies from Isaiah in the weeks leading up to Christmas uh, because as we have seen over the last two weeks as we looked at the first two servant songs, the servant of whom Isaiah prophesies is Jesus Christ. These verses speak about Jesus. So please listen as I start reading in Isaiah 50 verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with the word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen like those being instructed. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us confront each other. Who has a case against me? Let him come near me. In truth, the Lord God will help me. Who will condemn me? Indeed, all of them will wear out like a garment. A moth will devour them. Who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Let him lean on his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with torches. Walk in the light of your fire and of the torches you have lit. This is what you'll get from my hand. You will lie down in a place of torment. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to be a people of your word, a people who have ears to listen. So, Father, we pray that you would awaken our ears to listen to you this morning. Father, we know that is a work of the Spirit, and so we pray for your Spirit to be at work this morning in the preaching of your Word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I will raise your hands if you have seen any of the Star Wars movies. Any of the Star Wars movies? A good portion of you, not everyone. But if you have seen them, If you have seen the Star Wars movies, you know that even though the good guys win in the end, so sorry to spoil the story for those of you who haven't seen it, the good guys win in the end, though that is true, the Star Wars story is something of a tragedy. It's a tragic story of the consequences of going your own way. The main villain of the Star Wars franchise is a guy by the name of Darth Vader who is responsible for widespread death and destruction. He's ruthless, and he's cruel, and he's proud. But he was not always that way. In fact, Darth Vader started out as one of the good guys. He was part of a group of warrior heroes called the Jedi. And as part of their training, the Jedi were given older Jedi mentors who they were supposed to to follow and obey. These mentors are even called masters. These masters taught their young Jedi students how to live in the way of the Jedi, how to live by their values to be a Jedi. 
So the young Jedi were taught not to go their own way, but to submit their wills to their Jedi masters and to the Jedi way. Now, the problem was, though Darth Vader was once a young Jedi, though he did have a Jedi master, he never learned to submit. He constantly rebelled, even in just very small ways, against his Jedi Master and against the Jedi Way. He wanted to go his own way, and tragedy was the result. Death and destruction, including his own, was the result. Uh, Church, the tragedy of Darth Vader is really just the tragedy of all of mankind. The truth is, since the first sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, human existence has been marked by going our own way. They went their own way. We go our own way. Instead of submitting our wills and desires to our creator, God, who has loved us, we've chosen to rebel against God and go our own way, live according to our own rules. We have chosen to to follow God our own hearts. This is what the Bible calls sin, and it is the path to tragedy and destruction. This is what we see in the history of the nation of Judah, the people to whom Isaiah was, was writing this prophecy. Remember, Isaiah was prophesying to the nation of Judah who had been exiled from their land by the nation of Babylon because of their sin. They were exiled because they had rebelled against the Lord and they had gone their own way. They had ignored the commands of the Lord and they were experiencing his discipline. Yet the Lord was gracious to disobedient Judah, just as he has been gracious to us who are a disobedient people as well. The Lord promised to send this great servant of the Lord of whom Isaiah prophesied to restore and redeem his people. And what we find in our passage this morning is that the Lord's servant was different than the nation of Judah and different than us in just about every way. He, the servant, would be fully obedient. He would faithfully listen to the Lord's instruction. He would be everything that Israel was not and everything that we are not. Righteous and holy and obedient and good, fully submissive to the will of his father. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the servant is our model and example for the Christian life, our Jedi master, if you will. Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke. He says, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher, Luke 640. Church, as we listen to Jesus, we learn to live in obedience to God. He is our example of how we are to live before the Lord. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is far more than our example. It was by Jesus' willing obedience to include his death on the cross that he became not just our example, but our salvation. And that's what I hope that you see from these verses today. I have three points to help us understand uh, this message from Isaiah. You can find these points in your bulletin. The first point is that the servant submits. It comes from verses 4 through 6, the servant submits. Second, the the servant is sustained. The servant is sustained, verses 7 through 9. And then third, submit to the servant. That is the servant's call to you. Submit to the servant, verses 10 and 11. So first, the servant submits, verses 4 through 6. 
And in these opening verses, we just jump right in, but it is the servant of the Lord who is speaking in these verses. And from the very beginning, we see that the servant did not go his own way, but he obeyed. Look again at verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are instructed to know how to sustain the weary with a word. He awakens me each morning. He awakens my ear to listen to those being instructed. Like a, like a student speaks and shares the knowledge that he or she has received from his teacher. Well, so Jesus shares with his tongue the words that were given to him by the Father. The Lord had given him the tongue of one who was instructed. As we just read from John 8:28, I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. And so while on earth, Jesus spoke that which he received from the Father. He came to earth to, to do the will of the Heavenly Father. While on earth, he submitted his will to the Father's will. He obeyed. Jesus listened like those being instructed. He spoke as one who was instructed. And now as I say that, I do want to make something absolutely clear. We thought about this last week. But Jesus is fully and completely God. Jesus is not one-third part of God. You know, there's like the one-third Father, one-third Holy Spirit, one-third Son. No, Jesus is fully and completely God. He is one with the Father, of the same essence and nature, just as much God as the Father. And yet something happened when Jesus came to earth. Jesus, who was and is fully God... Well, he also became fully man. And in his humanity, he became a servant. He came to serve his people by dying for them. That's what we think about as Christians. But he also came to serve and obey his heavenly father. In his human nature, in his human nature, Jesus submitted his will to the father. He remained fully God. And yet in his humanity, he obeyed. And brothers and sisters, he did this so he might save us. It is Jesus' perfect obedience that qualified him to serve as our substitute sacrifice on the cross to take our sin. It is his obedience that led him to the cross where he paid for our sins. And it is his obedience, his righteousness, that we receive when we repent and believe. His righteousness at the moment of salvation, his goodness, his perfection, gets credited to our account. Well, think about this a little bit more later in the sermon. And so Jesus' obedience saves us. But Jesus also obeyed in order to be an example for us. So that we would learn to submit our wills to the Father as well. And then furthermore, Jesus submitted himself to the Father so that as our representative, Jesus represents us in his humanity. And so that as our representative, he might identify with us and sympathize with us. Look again at the middle of verse 4. Isaiah writes that Jesus was given the tongue of those who were instructed for a purpose. To know how to sustain the weary with a word. Jesus was sustained when he was weary. And so now he can sustain us when we are weary. As the, the author of, of Hebrews writes... We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, 
yet without sin. Jesus, our great high priest, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Brothers and sisters, Jesus can sympathize with your weaknesses and he can sympathize with your temptations because in his humanity he experienced those same weaknesses and temptations. Jesus knows how hard it is to be loving and kind when you are tired and hungry. Sometimes Delane has to sneak me a snack so that I don't get angry when I am tired and hungry. Jesus experienced relational conflict and mistreatment. He experienced rejection. He was mocked and he was beaten and he was crucified. He knew what it was like to be tempted to anger and bitterness. Jesus knows the ordinary difficulties of just day in and day out faithfulness. That is what Jesus calls us to, day in and day out faithfulness. And Jesus knows the difficulties of that call. He was tempted in every way, every way as we are, and yet he was without sin. And brothers and sisters, that means that he can sympathize with your weaknesses. I mean, isn't it encouraging to know that your great high priest, Jesus Christ, who is seated even now, exalted at the right hand of the Father, understands you. And knows what you are going through. If you read biographies or, or military history, you'll know that the most beloved military leaders and generals throughout history are the ones who got out from their office and spent time among their troops, who went to the front lines, interacted, got themselves dirty. And brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus did for us. The eternal Son of God gave up the glory of heaven to come and be among us, to have relationship with us. Now, he is not a distant Savior, but a loving and personal Savior who knows you and understands you and loves you and can sympathize with you. Kids, when Jesus calls you to obey your parents and submit to those in authority, he is not calling you to do something that he did not do. Jesus is fully obedient to his heavenly father and his earthly father. Kids, he is your example in obedience. But Jesus is far more than that. He is the one that provides the strength to obey as you trust in him. Now, I also want you to see that Jesus' submission during his time on earth was also seen in his dependence on the father. Now, look yet again at verse 4 says that the Father awakened Jesus each morning to listen to him, to be sustained and comforted by him. We see in the Gospels that Jesus often rose early or stayed up late, that he withdrew by himself to fellowship with the Father, to pray with the Father. Jesus, during his time on earth, frequently sought the fellowship and instruction of the Father. When tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus quoted scripture to resist that temptation. He relied on the word of the Father. And he prayed for the strength to do the will of the Father, even when it led all the way to the suffering of the cross. We see that there was just a great intimacy between Father and Son. It just comes out so clearly in the Gospels. The Father led and instructed and strengthened the Son. And the Son sought that strength and encouragement. He sought the fellowship of the Father. And in church, in all of this, Jesus is an example to you. 
And if Jesus needed to be awakened each morning to fellowship with the Father and receive his instruction and strength, I mean, how much more do we need to do the same? And if you are a Christian, you have been invited. You have been invited into the intimate fellowship between the Father, Son, and Spirit. You've been adopted into the family of God. And brothers and sisters, you pursue that fellowship by spending time in God's Word and prayer. And Jesus didn't just fellowship with the Father like just because. It was a joy. Relationship with the Lord is a joy. So brothers and sisters, ask yourself, do you pursue fellowship with God? Do you awaken each morning to pursue fellowship with the Lord through his word and prayer? If you don't do it in the morning, do you stay up late to fellowship with the Lord in his word and prayer? Are you eager for that fellowship? Do you look for the strength and instruction of God each day? Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, you have fellowship with the triune God. The creator of the universe delights in relationship with you. He offers himself to you. He speaks to you through his word and you get to speak to him in prayer. And do you pursue it? And brothers and sisters, how can you in any real sense say that you are submitting to God and depending on God if you never seek the counsel and instruction of his word? If you never seek fellowship with him in prayer? I mean, how would this work at, at your job? Can you follow your boss's instructions if you don't know what they are? How easy it would be to carry out your boss's instructions if you never got to speak with him. Brothers and sisters, if you want to submit in obedience to the Lord, you must be the people of the word and a people of prayer. Not just when you come to church, but throughout the week. The triune God, the creator of the universe, has invited you to fellowship with him. Brothers and sisters, follow the example of Jesus. And these verses in Isaiah also reveal to us the true depth of Jesus' obedience and submission to the Father. Look at verses 5 and 6. Jesus was fully submissive and obedient to the Father, even in the worst circumstances imaginable. So if you think it's too difficult for you to obey in your situation, let's just look how and when Jesus obeyed. Jesus, who could have called down an army of angels to end his suffering at any moment, instead says this, I gave my back to those who beat me, and my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of his betrayal, Jesus asked the Father if there was a way other than the cross a way other than the suffering he knew he was about to endure and, and, uh, as a way to save his people. But nevertheless, as he prayed that, he also prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Well, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 5.8 writes this, although he was a son, although Jesus was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And what does it mean that Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered? I believe it communicates the idea that it is in his suffering that Jesus' true obedience, his true submission, his true dependence on the Father was put to the test. Every time Jesus was tired and tempted to be rude and dismissive as the crowds closed in on him and wanted his ministry, every time he was tempted to be rude and dismissive, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he acted with compassion instead. 
Every time he was beat, every time he gave his cheeks, every time he did not hide his face from scorn and spitting, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And he patiently endured. He endured every insult without insulting in return. And when suffering tested him, Jesus remained faithful in every way. Oh, brothers and sisters, just like Jesus, it is in your own suffering that your faith is put to the test. I mean, how many of you have wondered at some time, if I experienced that, would I still follow the Lord? You hear some example maybe of a Christian martyr or somebody else who suffered for the Lord, and you wondered, would I do the same? Suffering puts our faith to the test. It's when we learn how to obey, when faith is put into practice, when it is hard. It is in suffering when we're most tempted to to go our own way and abandon the Lord. We wonder why should we follow the Lord when suffering seems to be the result. But again, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is refined during times of trial and suffering. God does not shield us from suffering during our time on earth, but he uses it to refine us and form us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Friends, it feels much easier to follow the Lord when things are easy. We want to follow the Lord when things are easy. But what about when things get hard? When you have to say no to hating your enemies and yes to loving them. When you have to say no to revenge, but yes to turning the other cheek. When you have to say no to bitterness and yes to forgiveness. When you have to say no to grumbling against the Lord because of your circumstances and yes to rejoicing. When you have to say no to sleep and yes to time with the Lord. When you have to say no to pornography and yes to purity. When you have to say no to a romantic relationship with a non-Christian and yes to the command to marry only in the Lord. When you have to deny yourself. When you have to say, not my will, but yours be done. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, the author of Hebrews writes this. For consider him, Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Now, brothers and sisters, when you are struggling against sin, when you're fighting against temptation, when you feel like giving up the fight for holiness, remember you have not resisted your sin yet to the point of shedding your own blood. But Jesus did. And he did it for you. He suffered for your sin to the point of shedding his blood. So look to him and pray to him and rely on him. Submit your will to him. Because Jesus will sustain you. That brings us to the second point of the servant. The servant is sustained. Verses 7 through 9, the servant is sustained. And we might ask, what is it that sustained Jesus and the terrible suffering that he experienced on earth? Well, you look at verses 7 through 9. It was the truth that the Lord was with him and would help him. He believed that the Lord was near him. He believed that the Lord was on his side, even if everyone else seemed against him. 
even when he suffered. Look at verse 7, the Lord God will help me. Verse 8, the one who vindicates me is near. Verse 9, in truth, the Lord God will help me. Friends, aren't we all so often tempted to believe that our suffering is a sign of God's displeasure with us? We're tempted to believe that our suffering is a sign of God's displeasure or anger. We're tempted to think that our suffering is a sign of God's absence, not his presence. But that's not true. It is in our suffering that the Lord draws near. Those are the times that you can truly know the depth of the Lord's love for you. The depth of his comfort. It's when you find the depth of life with the Lord. It's when you come to know his strength. It's when your faith is refined. Well, some of you may have heard of the name of Joni Erickson Tata before. She's nearly 75 years old now, and for much of her life, she has been a model and an example of how to trust the Lord during very difficult circumstances. See, Joni Erickson Tata was paralyzed in an accident as a teenager. She was a healthy young lady, lost the use of her arms and legs in a terrible accident, and she has been in a wheelchair ever since, nearly 60 years now. However, she looks back on that accident as a gift from the Lord because it taught her to rely on him. And she has said this, God's refusal to make my life easier has been my greatest blessing. God's refusal to make my life easier has been my greatest blessing. And she has also said this about suffering, that God permits what he hates, suffering, to accomplish what he loves, the sanctification of his people. Brothers and sisters, God has a purpose in suffering. He allows suffering in our life to teach us that we can rely on him, to teach us that he is enough, to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God is not far from you in your suffering. He is near. There are those who would say that suffering and sickness just come from a lack of faith. It's God's will for your life for you to prosper in every way and never be sick. You just have to have enough faith. God's will is for life to be easy and prosperous. Brothers and sisters, that is a bunch of nonsense. Those people who say that just don't know what they're talking about. God's will is to form you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Well, this is how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Again, church, there is a purpose in your suffering. As you learn to trust in the Lord, you find the deep comfort of the Lord. And then you are able to comfort others as well. We so often become inward focused in our suffering. We just look at ourselves. But what God calls us to do is look up, look up, and then look out. Look up and see things from his perspective. Adopt an eternal perspective and then look out. Sympathize with others who are suffering. Offer them the comfort that the Lord has given you. 
comfort them with the comfort of the Lord. This is what Joni Erickson Tata has done. She has devoted her life to helping others find the comfort of the Lord in their suffering. She has written many helpful books and articles. She's a powerful speaker. I think we might have a book of hers back there on the table today. When she was paralyzed, there were others in her life who helped her to look up and see things from the Lord's perspective. She credits others in her life for doing this. And so now she seeks to minister to others and teaching them to look up as well. So church, in your trials, in your difficulties, in your suffering, look up. See the Lord. Find his comfort. And then look out. Minister to others. Weep with those who weep. Carry their burdens. The church, Jesus knew the Father was near, even in his earthly suffering. Let's look for a moment a little bit deeper at what sustained Jesus in his suffering. Because we want to adopt the mind of Christ ourselves. We want to adopt the mind of Christ. We see in our passage and other places of Scripture that what sustained Jesus was a certain hope in the promised reward of faithfulness. A certain hope in the promised reward of faithfulness. Again, to go back to Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy that lay before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus despised the shame of the cross. But look back at verse 6 for a moment. Does it sound shameful to be spit on and mocked? To be beaten and have your, your beard torn out by others? Would it be shameful to have a whole city cry out for your execution and then be executed on a hill in public in the view of all? Yes, of course. But notice what the servant says in verse 7. He has not been humiliated and he will not be put to shame. Well, how can that be? Because Jesus knew there was a greater vindication to come. That he would be proven right. Friends, imagine for a moment that your father owned the business that you worked for. A new employee was hired. An employee who did not know that you were the son or daughter of the owner. And that new employee showed up on their first day and began to mock you. Maybe they began to to spit on you and humiliate you for no reason at all. They treated you shamefully. Now... Would you really be all that shamed if that were the case? Would you really be all that worried about that employee? Probably not, because you know what will happen when your father returns. You will be vindicated. The one who seeks to put you to shame will be ultimately shamed. They probably will not keep their job. Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus knew this. Though he was shamed in the moment, he knew he would carry no lasting shame. Though he was condemned by men, he trusted in the fact that he would be vindicated by the Lord. Notice in verse 8 that Jesus invites those who would contend with him or who think they have a case against him to draw near. So Jesus knew that God was near him, the Lord is near. Then he invites those people who would oppose him and contend with him to draw near and present their case in front of the Father. It would be like inviting that rude co-worker to say the same things that she said When your father comes back, will their case against Jesus stand? Of course not. He is the only one who has fully obeyed and and never done anything wrong. What accusation can stand against Jesus? I mean, look at the end of verse 9. Jesus trusted that all of his accusers would one day wear out and fade away. They would die, 
But Jesus' vindication would last forever. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is no longer waiting to be vindicated. He has been vindicated. He has been vindicated when God raised him from the dead, showing that his sacrifice for sin was acceptable. He has now been exalted back to the right hand of the Father. All of his accusers, past, present, and future, will wear out and die, but Jesus has defeated death. He has been raised. And friends, that is good news. That is good news for all sinners who will place their faith in him. Because since no accusation against Jesus can stand, no accusation against Jesus' people can stand either. No accusation can stand against those who have been united to Jesus Christ by faith. The Bible says that those who place their faith in Jesus receive as a gift Jesus' righteousness and holiness. They get his goodness and his perfect obedience into their spiritual bank account. If you were a Christian, Jesus carried your sin and he carried your guilt and he carried your shame to the cross. He took it from you. He took that from you and he gave you his righteousness in its place. Therefore, as Paul writes in Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Friends, have you ever stopped to think how amazing that statement is? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many things do you deserve to be condemned for? How many things have you done that have been shameful? If you're a Christian, Jesus has taken it all. You bear your guilt, and you bear your shame, and you bear your sin no more. Jesus has given you his righteousness in its place. And therefore, that means that no accusation of the enemy can stand against you. If you are a Christian, you are forgiven, and you are justified, and you are free. Brothers and sisters, church, this is why whenever we pray the prayer of confession up here, just as Brother Mark did earlier, we offer an assurance of pardon at the end. Because if you are in Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You are assured of pardon. No accusation can stand. Listen to these wonderful words from Revelation chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come. Because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, Satan, the one who loves to accuse the people of God, to accuse Christians and tell them there is no way that God could love them or forgive them because of what they have done. Who loves to tell them that they could have no place with God. Well, he has been defeated by the blood of the Lamb, defeated by the obedient submission of Jesus, defeated at the cross, and he will be fully and finally thrown down and defeated forevermore when Jesus returns. Jesus has been vindicated. He has been exalted. He has been raised. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, that is the message of the gospel. But friends... As we move to the final point of the sermon, I want you to see that these wonderful and glorious gospel truths are only true for you if you submit yourself to the servant. They are only true for you. They are only good news for you if you submit yourself to the servant. You can only be justified and forgiven and free if you submit to the servant. 
Look with me again at verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Let him lean on his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with torches. Walk in the light of your fire and of the torches you have lit. This is what you'll get from my hand. You will lie down in a place of torment. Throughout this, this whole passage, we've been thinking about how the servant himself submitted. How Jesus, during his time on earth, submitted himself to the will of his father. But notice something interesting at the beginning of verse 10. Now the servant is calling you to listen to him and to submit to him. He listened to the father. Now he calls you to listen to him. By virtue of his submission to the father, Jesus has been given all authority. The father has vindicated and exalted the son. And now he calls you to listen to the son. As Jesus submitted to the Father, so you must submit yourself to the Son if you are to find life. Verses 10 and 11 present a contrast between those who trust in the Lord and those those who submit themselves to the servant, so on one hand, and those who do not on the other. So one commentator summarizes the contrast of these two verses this way. It is a contrast between those who model themselves on the servant, verse 10, and those who walk in the way of self-sufficiency, verse 11. These two verses contrast two kinds of people and two ways of life. Both walk, the one in darkness, verse 10, the other in self-kindled light, verse 11. The one has no gleam of light, verse 10. The other is surrounded by torches he has lit, verse 11. The one leans on God, verse 10. The other lies down in torment, Verse 11. In the two previous servant songs, we have seen that the servant Jesus is called and commissioned by the Father to be a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners out of the dark dungeon, to be his light to the ends of the earth. Friends, the Bible often speaks of salvation in terms of light and darkness. Without Jesus, we are trapped in the darkness of our own sin. We are dead in our sins. We have no light. Well, what we need is Jesus. Those who are walking in darkness need his light. We need his salvation. The problem is that many people don't look for Jesus for light. They don't trust in the name of the Lord. They look to themselves. That's what we see in verse 11. They seek to light their own fire and walk by the light of their own fire, not the light of Jesus. They do not want to submit to the Lord, but they want to go their own way, to walk in their own light. The idea of submitting themselves to Jesus and following him in obedience is not appealing. Uh, Brothers and sisters, that is no true light at all. The end of that road is destruction. Those who will not submit to the Lord will receive judgment and torment. That's what we see at the end of verse 11. They will not receive salvation. Now, I want to be clear, Star Wars is not a Christian movie. It's not even a religious movie. But it is very fitting that Darth Vader belongs to what is known as the dark side. By going his own way, he gives himself over to the dark side. He does not see more clearly, but he comes blind. And in the end, he destroys himself. Friends, you cannot generate the light that you need on your own. 
You cannot save yourselves. You cannot be good enough to earn a place with God. You cannot go your own way and blaze your own path to God, to find your own way to God. You need God to supernaturally shine his saving light into the blackness of your souls. You need God to supernaturally open your eyes. You need the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to shine into your hearts the way that that light shone for the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. The only true way to salvation is to receive the light of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, you receive that light as you rely on Jesus in humble faith. Salvation is not something to be earned. Salvation is not something to be earned. It is to be received. And when someone receives the light of Christ, what is the response? Well, it's then that they submit themselves, heart, soul, mind, strength, and will to Jesus. In his book, Authority, the author Jonathan Lehman shares the story of a woman named Tammy who suffered terrible abuse at the hands of several authority figures in her life. She was abused by family members and other people in authority. It's a, it's a terrible story. And this made her very resistant as she was growing up to the idea of any authority at all. She did not want to submit herself to any authority or obey any authority. She became a rebel to basically all authority, government authority, other authority figures in her life, and she was certainly a rebel to the Lord. But then God shone his light into her soul and supernaturally converted her. And he slowly brought her to understand that true life comes in submission to him. He is kind. He is good. It took her time to fully understand and believe this. But now, years later, this is how she summarizes the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, at its core, is all about submission. Jesus Christ is Lord and Master. I am a sinner who is commanded by God to turn from my sin and submit to his Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord, and to follow him faithfully by obeying his word and the power of the Spirit. I am a slave to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is why I believe the gospel is hard for many to believe, because sinful human beings have no desire, apart from the grace of God, to submit themselves to God. We like calling the shots, but Jesus calls sinners to humble and deny themselves and put others before themselves to glorify and exalt him. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, that's not everything that could be said about the gospel, but it's a beautiful summary of the gospel especially when you know something of Tammy's story. Friends, the truth is that in our sin, we all want to go our own way. We all want to call the shots. Apart from the grace of God, we have no desire, zero desire, to humble ourselves and submit to the Lord. But the grace of God, the undeserved grace of God, humbles the proud, leading them to deny themselves. It transforms rebellious sinners into obedient servants. But friends, I want to be clear about this because I think we see this in these verses. Jesus cannot be your Savior unless He is also your Lord. Jesus cannot be your Savior unless He is also your Lord. There is no such thing as trusting in Jesus for salvation and then continuing to go your own way. There is no such thing as trusting in Jesus for salvation but then not following Him as Lord and Master. Now look, we still sin. 
Christians still sin, but true salvation is accompanied by a change of life, a change of direction and affections. We now want to follow the Lord. We're sorrowful when we sin. We seek to live in a new way of life. True salvation comes with submitting your will to the will of Jesus. Friends, the call of discipleship is a call to submit and follow. It is a call to submit and obey and faithfully follow even when you face the darkness of the world. Difficult circumstances, great grief, tremendous suffering. It is a call to submit and follow even when you cannot fully understand the purpose of your circumstances and the purpose of, the cir- of your suffering when you're left in the dark, so to speak, is what's going on. Friends, you may not always see a purpose in suffering or the reason for the events of this life. But what are you called to do? Look up. Trust in the Lord. Lean on God. Submit to the servant. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is your example in this. So look to him. But again, Jesus is far more than your example. He is also your strength and your salvation. You can only truly follow the Lord when you submit to him and walk not in your own strength, but by the strength of his spirit. And you do this as you pursue fellowship with the Lord through his word and prayer. At first, you do that as you repent and believe. If you want his spirit, you must repent and believe and submit. But then you continue to rely on the spirit as you pursue fellowship with the Lord through his word and prayer. You do it as you continually submit your will to his and say, not my will be done, but your will be done. You do it as you set your hope on the day when Jesus returns to vindicate and glorify his people. Brothers and sisters, the sufferings and shame of this life last but for a moment. And they are nothing compared with the glory that is to be revealed when Jesus returns. Jesus will glorify and vindicate all those who submit to him. Let's pray.